What is going on? We are back with another edition of Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Yet another bonus supersized edition. Two Canucks Hours coming up here. It's myself, Jamie Dodd, my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Uh, Drancer, first two preseason games in the books, Canucks lose both, uh, including 3-2 in overtime at Rogers Arena. I will say, you know, there's always, people are excited, the Canucks are back on TV, they're playing another team, you know, they're wearing their, their jerseys and all that. For me, it scratched the itch for about 10 minutes, and then I was like, oh, wow, I really wish this was regular season hockey. Oh, really? <laughs> I love preseason hockey. Oh, man. I love preseason hockey because because you're watching teams go through the process of separating the wheat from the shaft. Sure. And so, you know, there's a lot of games within a game. And as a sports writer, that's that's like the best. You know, at the end of the day, what you're looking for is moments in the game that matter more. Than that tell like, you something. Yeah, that matter more than like, oh, wow, they won game 42. You know, there's more going on during the preseason, and I think there's a fair bit to take away from last night in terms of some of the performances that we saw, some of the players that are beginning to separate themselves, some of the clarity that we're beginning to get in terms of, you know, who's getting a really long look, who's getting, you know, who's going to have to do more. And what exactly will sort of the bottom end of this Canucks lineup look like? Well, it's interesting. And, and first of all, I'll just say, I thought the penalties and the lack of flow just killed it for me last night. Because I, I hear what you're saying. But That's it was how it just always like, is. Oh, my goodness. It's just death. Can we yeah. just get to the Can we just get to the regular season already? No, number 24 in your programs, number one in your hearts, Graham Skilleter, <laughs> with what? How many pet power play opportunities were there? 12? Yes. Yeah, so, oh, Something at least, like that? At least. I, yeah. The Canucks by themselves were, I think, oh, what, over seven on the power play? Yikes. Yeah. And then they I look good, though. The, well, we'll talk about it because yeah. you're right. We'll get there in a second. But, you know, you say who's getting a long look and uh, and who needs to do more. The long look thing is interesting because it can go one of two ways, right? It can either be you, you we're, we're impressed by you. You weren't necessarily in our plans, but we want, we're, we're going to take a real long look at you to see if you can make it and force us to, to put you in our plans. Or it's... This isn't working out necessarily how we hoped, so we're going to keep watching you to see if things can turn around. Well, let's let's start with the defense. Sure. Because the defense is obviously, and we're going to get into this with Dom LeCision, who wrote his uh, Canucks preview alongside Shana Goldman and Sean Gentilly at The Athletic. You can see that projection up at theathletic.com right now, uh, slash Vancouver, if you want to go there directly. But, of course, using his uh, model. Have we ever discussed his model yeah, on this program? Say, Do you know that he has the, one? The man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> Dom yeah. Lucision, joining his, the program I think today. it's his first. He's been like a character. He's been a boogeyman on this program yeah. for so long, and now he finally joins us. I think, anyway. Uh, other than actual members of the Canucks, probably name-checked more than anybody else on this Oh, on this easily. Show. Yeah. Easily. Well, other than members of the Vancouver Canucks and previous members yes. of the Florida Panthers. Yes. Um, <laughs> with regards to... Dom's projection, right? The, the the projection itself rates the Canucks as having the 20th best defensive group in the NHL. And that seems high, almost. Like, I saw a lot of people in the, uh, our comment section saying, that seems high. But, you know, it's not that high when you have Quinn Hughes. <laughs> it's not that high when you have one, you know, really high-end star defenseman, right? Uh, outside of Quinn Hughes, you drop down five, six spots lower, right? That's sort of the issue. Now, in filling out that defensive core right I think we're seeing some pretty interesting things and I think we saw some pretty interesting things last night first of all we saw Jack Rathbone play 
almost half the game, right? Like we saw him play 25-ish minutes and look really good, right? I think Rathbone's on a short list of players that have really impressed upper management. Uh, You know, DiGiuseppe, Arthur Silovs, Niels Hoaglander. That's like your short list of camp standouts, right? Because no one's going to pick Bo Horvat. No. Or JT Miller or Elias Pettersson. Like, those guys have their jobs, you know what I mean? They're not ra- they're ramping up, they're easing into it. It's a totally different set of circumstances. So you're looking at guys at the bottom end and, you know, short list of guys that upper management has been really impressed with. Jack Rathbone is on it. And that's huge because if the Canucks are playing Oliver Ekman Larson and Quinn Hughes together on a pair, there's a very very straightforward path into the opening night lineup, not just onto the 23-man roster which he will be on but into the opening night lineup for Jack Rathbone. To this point, he's seized those opportunities. Make no mistake about it. I think we saw proof positive of it last night. We also saw something interesting a little further down the lineup. So Danny DeKaiser continues to get these plum opportunities with Tyler Myers. When you sign a PTO as a veteran player, a really experienced guy like Danny DeKaiser, one value to the team signing you is that you qualify as what's called a veteran player for the purpose of preseason games. Preseason games are sold as part of season ticket holder packages. And so in order to protect consumers, the league requires that NHL teams dress seven veterans, seven guys who played or or at least meet a minimum threshold of games played in their career and or games played last year, right? The value of someone on a PTO like Danny DeKaiser then comes in part from the fact that if you're sending, say, a feebler lineup to Calgary for for a split squad game, you can send that guy out, you can send that guy out Save one of your veteran bullets, and he sort of helps you tick that box, right? He gives you the the approved hieroglyphic from the league. Lineup is preseason approved. The Canucks didn't do that. They kept him in Vancouver, right? Boudreaux clearly wanted a longer look. Likewise, Jet Wu. Now, you pointed this out quite smartly when we were in Whistler, but Jet Wu was the only player who scrimmaged three times. Yep. They moved, they changed groups, they changed him into another group so that he could get a third scrimmage opportunity during preseason. And then they similarly kept him in Vancouver so that Boudreaux and the majority of Canucks management who remained behind could have a look at Wu more closely. So what are you seeing here, right? What are you seeing here? Has Jet Wu impressed to the point where he's a contender? No. Not to make – he's impressed relative to maybe where he ended last season, but he hasn't – Entered the NHL conversation. No correct, way. correct. But on both fronts, there's a common thread, okay? And that is the organization is really intent on using this first week of training camp and preseason to evaluate, in particular, their defensive options, which makes sense because as we've talked about at length and reported at length, Regardless of what J.T. Miller or Patrick Alvin might say on the day that J.T. Miller signs, this organization's concerned about their blue line, right? They see it as a multi-year rebuilding project. They would have loved to have turned it over this past season. Like, they absolutely explored, you know, the, the Lundqvist trade, for example, but the price got out of hand, right? Like, they have been looking and kicking doors and kicking tires, and, like, they have been looking for... Defensive help, they're going to continue looking for defensive help. And they're looking for it internally, too. Jet Wu, 23, second-round pick. You know, new to us. Former management's guy. Do we have anything here? Do we have anything here? Let's get a long look. Let's know. Let's know 10 days into camp if there might be something here. 
Danny DeKaiser, right? PTO guy. Some concern about the speed, for yep. sure. And, and not, not just from me. Like, internally, there's a recognition that the speed is not what it used and to be. And I thought those concerns, you could see them. They were valid oh, in absolutely. the game last night, right? And, and Bruce Boudreaux said post-game that he looked nervous in the first period. He, he didn't play well in the opening 20 minutes. Stanza played really well, I thought, or at least played fine the last 40 minutes. Um, the foot speed is an issue, and the organization knows it. It's just that his experience and defensive awareness and hockey IQ and the way he carries himself – you know, that still might be one of the eight guys they keep. Like, that. you know, he hasn't necessarily hit, blown down the door yet, but I think he's done enough that that's still a, a consideration and, and something that the organization will continue to evaluate as guys start to hit waivers in the days ahead here, right? As, as sort of the waiver wire grinds into gear and teams begin to make cuts. So they're clearly taking a long look at some of these defenders with an eye toward having a really good sense, the best sense they can possibly have of what exactly, you know, is in store inventory wise on their back end, the waiver wire still looms large here, right? If they can find a, a youngish profile guy who they believe that, you know, in that Travis Dermott mold that they believe can do more, like that's going to tempt them sorely over the coming weeks. And that's something to keep in mind here too, for a player like Rathbone, right? It's not just that Rathbone is competing against, the guys at Canucks camp, right? Yeah. You're also competing to make sure that you're better than Victor Mete when he hits waivers, right? Or or a player of that ilk who's almost sure to be waived by a team with cap issues um, when when sort of the rubber meets the road on Canadian Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, it's Canucks Hour here, Sportsnet 650, coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So let, let's talk a little bit more about uh, some of the specific defenders that you mentioned there. And as you said, Rathbone, his spot on the roster isn't necessarily in question because of the commitment they've made to him, but certainly... His role in the lineup, his spot in the lineup, is something that's still up in the air. And, you know, he got every opportunity to prove, uh, not just with the amount of minutes he played, but also specifically with his role on power play one. And, look, I kind of thought this way coming before we saw any on-ice activity from the team coming into training camp that the 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 way to proceed with the Canucks blue line was you need to find a way to get Jack Rathbone in the lineup because he's one of your six best defensemen. I have certainly not seen anything to sway me from that. In fact, I'm becoming more and more confident that it, it, look, you're no matter who, no matter which six guys of the guys who are currently available to them, and we'll see if anything plays out in terms of trades, in terms of waivers. But no matter which six guys you put out there for your blue line, there's going to be some awkward fits, some things you're not crazy about. We all know that. When that's the situation, to me, the best course of action is, well, get your most talented six out there, right? Bet on the talent, bet on the upside. Jack Rathbone clearly, clearly has that upside, gives that element of upside that some of the other options don't for the Canucks. He also addresses something that the other defenders, uh, the other defensemen options for the Canucks, aside from Quinn Hughes, you know, don't have enough of, right? Like, he addresses this blue line's mm -hmm. fundamental weakness, which is the ability to, tra to transition the puck, right? Um, he's a contemporary defenseman. He looks like the new NHL. And he plays with enough hunger in his belly to hold up. So, yeah, I mean, Jack Rathbone's made a strong case for himself over the course of the past five days. Make no mistake about that. You know, I think he's, like, I, I would say I would say he's leading this race to be one of the, you know, final three 
guys, right? One of those final three. If you carry eight defensemen, right? The final three is the interesting one because mm-hmm. the, the whoever's first among those three plays opening night. I think I think he'd be, you know, at the head of the at the head of the chase pack, um, you know, in terms of that grouping at this point. So a lot of road to run, a lot of road to run. Now let's talk about a couple other things. Yeah. The you can't overreact to a preseason loss. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you no. Know, let's do it. <laughs> no, you know, you know, you know our show. Like we, I don't even react to individual results usually. You know, it's the large trend. I'm looking for signal, yeah. not noise. And yet, I was pretty surprised when I was making my calls this morning that you know there was some annoyance internally that not that the team lost, who cares, but that the team had gotten outworked. Mm-hmm. You know, I was surprised by the extent to which that was the case um, across both games, right? This wasn't just isolated to what we saw at Rogers Arena. I think there was a sense of annoyance that the team had gotten outworked. I kind of like that, to be honest with you. I, maybe not how I would have felt. I would never have gone out. I would never have written the article like, Canucks get outworked in preseason opener. I would never have done that. Canucks embarrass themselves <laughs> in split squad preseason opener. As as much as our listeners might think I'd like to do that, I literally would just never have done it. But talking to management, um, I do get the sense that there was some annoyance. There was some annoyance about it. And when you look at the shot clock, right, when you look at sort of how the game unfolded, I think it's fair Uh, To note that, yeah, the Flames control play five-on-five pretty consistently. The Canucks don't want to see that happen uh, with that type of regularity, uh, even if it is just the preseason. I kind of like that the expectations are that high at this point, right? That the standard is, guys, you can't get outworked in the preseason. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You know what? That makes sense to me as you sort of carve out an identity or or a a set of expectations uh, from the top on down. Well, and I can understand that from this team wanting to see that from this team in particular because this is it's not as if this is a perennial playoff team that got outworked in game 1 of the preseason because they're just easing right. into the year, right? Like no. this this group still has tons to prove and, and they talked they, at length about the starts. And they need their identity to be hard working, aggressive on the forecheck, high energy, right? That's what Bruce Boudreaux has talked about. That's what he wants to see and you know, if I was in management, I would kind of look at it as, "Hey, we we brought this group back. We're, we're kind of giving you the chance to prove it, why wait? Why wait to prove that you can do that consistently? So I, I do understand that perspective from management as much as it is, you know, just the first split squad preseason game. For sure. Um, obviously, Mikhaev leaves the game, and that's sort of the biggest lingering story. Um, sounds like he's going to go through evaluations today, and the club will have a better sense of it tomorrow. Uh, Besser? I think I think we'll learn more about that today. All right. Oddly enough, I'm not exactly sure what that means. Uh, I, as I was sort of making calls, obviously everyone's guarded about it, but sounded like there'd be some clarity coming today. Uh, hopefully, that's not as ominous as it sounds. But yeah. you know, I sort of checked. I was like, "That sounds bad." Like, is it bad? And I was told, you know, don't read that into it. Just expect clarity at some point today. So we'll learn more about that. Besser was held out, of course, from the final scrimmage of training camp on Saturday. It was referred to as precautionary and then yesterday Bruce Boudreaux said it was a day-to-day situation um so you know this one's evolving sort of rapidly we'll see exactly where we land here but hopefully hopefully there's nothing there uh Besser of course you know was hurt right before preseason or right before training camp opened uh had sort of a, a back or a core issue uh right before training camp opened last year you could tell in the first two months of the season he just wasn't at full speed and and Besser's one of those players who you know um, 
he doesn't have a step to lose, right? He, he It really diminishes his ability to be early enough to those pucks that he, like the 50-50 pucks that he wins such a high rate of. Yeah. He kind of needs exactly the amount of speed that he has to use that particular part of his game to full effect. Um, you know, likewise, 2019... Uh, you know, he was injured during training camp. Remember, he missed the, missed the first game of the season. Um, so, you know, it's just too bad. Like, you just love to see this guy come in fully fit and healthy. And hopefully he gets the chance to do that. Hopefully, uh, you know, the announcement is, is positive news. But we'll, we'll, we'll know more soon. Additionally, expect some cuts today. Yeah. The, the Canucks are going to make some cuts today. Um, they're going to get down to two groups, probably one pretty obvious NHL group that might be a little larger than a 23-man group you'd usually see. That's going to tell us a lot about who's actually on the bubble here versus who's not. I would certainly expect Di Giuseppe to be there. I would certainly expect Rathbone to stick. I think they'll continue to give Danny DeKaiser a longer look. Oh, yeah. I, I would be a little bit surprised if Jet Wu continues to get that look, but maybe, but maybe. I mean, they're they're clearly intent on giving him every opportunity so uh we'll see but i'd expect something like 30 33 guys like sort of like an extra 10 and extra 11 and at that point we'll have a really good sense of who the extra bodies to go down are uh but yeah expect some cuts later today from the canucks as they sort of um begin to form an ahl group um and then also beneath that send some invites home and and some guys back to major junior yeah just to uh give everyone a sense of the schedule for the week so if i don't play again until thursday that's at rogers arena uh, against the kraken uh seattle coming to town you will of course be able to hear that one here on sportsnet 650 with full pre and post game coverage as well day off today we'll see if we get any news uh, on Mikheyev, on Besser, as you said, uh, Drancer, yeah, Alvin hinted in Whistler that this would be a, a logical time to make some cuts after the split squad games are in the books, so would certainly expect that as well. Uh, they will be back on the ice Tuesday and Wednesday uh, in preparation for that next preseason game on Thursday at Rogers Arena. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Jeff from Mission says, I thought Pods, Pod Colson, was the best Canuck in the televised game last night. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of talking about there's 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 kind of two groups of players uh, in training camp and preseason, Drancer, where there's the you know established veterans who have nothing to worry about. Their place on the team uh, is established, is assured, and they're just easing into the season. And then there's the guys who are really hungry and desperate to prove themselves. And Pod Colson last night I thought was kind of playing like he was in the desperate group, but he's actually in the established group, right? It's like, you're just a good NHL player. And you're trying really hard, and so you looked like consistently the best player uh, for the Canucks last night. And look, it's, you know, he scores the goal, he's going hard to the net. I thought he was just making really smart, positive plays, winning battles all night long. It, it, it's a split squad preseason game, so you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but he is not going to slow down the Pod Colson hype train with performances like that, because I thought he looked really good as well. Yeah, the Deke was great. I, I liked what I saw generally out of him, Horvat, and Garland together. Uh, quiet at training camp, I thought they were really good. That By far, Vancouver's best line. Now, Mikhaev left the game pretty early, right? Early in the second period. So we didn't get to see a ton of that line. But I thought you could see some of what we were talking about a little bit in Whistler, about the work in progress that mm-hmm. that is likely to shape Andre Kuzmenko's first few months in the NHL, right? You could see from the passing plays, you could see on the power play, just the high-end skill, right? It drips off him. Like, it's really impressive. But, you know, that 
line spent way too much time without the puck, right? And I think their shift lengths were really high, right? They had over a minute uh, per shift in the first period. Bruce Boudreaux talked about it a little bit at training camp. Uh, I thought you saw proof positive of it. Like, how can you have juice with with shift lengths that long? Um, I I think, you know, that's going to be a big point of emphasis with Kuzmenko, particularly as he learns the NHL game, begins to understand the physicality, begins to understand the expectations, and sort of begins to understand the fitness expectations, too, uh, that he's going to need to hit to be a really effective two-way player, right? Because there's it's one thing to be a talented player in the NHL, and it's another to be the type of talented player in the NHL who can help a good team win games, right? I don't know at this point if we're going to, or if we should, expect Kuzmenko to hit that standard on day one of the regular season, for game one, when the Canucks play in Edmonton on October 12th. I think it might be, you know, a, a bit of a, a WIP. It might be a bit of a work in progress as he goes here uh, just to hit that next level up. Uh, but, but you know, again, the potential there is there. The upside is there. I just think we saw the other side of the coin a little bit too much last night, and it's going to be sort of on him and on Canucks coaches um, to over the course of the preseason begin to rein that in and get him molded to where you know he's closer to the standard of can help a good team win games. I, I think you're seeing just enough, particularly with him and Pedersen. The McKay fit has been a little awkward for me through training camp, and again, he left early in that game yesterday. But at least from Kuzmenko and Pedersen, you're seeing just enough to justify continue getting that look at them, right? You're, 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 you can see it's not exactly yeah, where you want it to be. They had that shift. Yeah, but there's enough there. You say, okay, we want to keep trying this. We want to see where it goes. Uh, see if that can be something that helps us win games. Again, maybe not you know day one, as you're saying, but at least a week, two weeks, three weeks into the season. Hopefully you keep uh, that positive trajectory going. It's Canucks Hour here, Sportsnet 650. Yeah, that's right. Dom Lucision, the legend from The Athletic, going to join us next to talk about uh, his projection, a big season preview for the Canucks up at The Athletic that you can check out right now. He will join us next right here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show, Canucks Hour, here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance will be joined momentarily by your colleague from the Athletic Trancer, uh, Dom Lucision, to talk about his season preview. The Prophet. Uh, written along with Sean Gentili and Shannon Coleman. <laughs> the we Prophet, Dom Lucision. Yes, that's right. Canucks I were brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All Star team, Avenue Machinery.ca, Douglas Lake Equipment.com. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. And look, obviously, you know, I've been reading all of the uh, the season previews up at The Athletic by this crew with interest because there's a ton of great information on every team, lots to dig into. I encourage everyone to go check it out. Uh, the Canucks one in particular at The Athletic right now. You know, I will just say the kind of top line projections that that people are going to be most interested in I would say probably 49% chance at the playoffs and look I mean there's something kind of reassuring to me about that because I've been mentally kind of chalking it up as a as a coin flip in my head right and to see it come out as basically a coin flip right at 50% 
uh, more or less. It's like, all right, somebody with a lot more brain power who's done a lot more uh, uh, rigorous work on it, let's put it that way, comes to more or less the same conclusion as me. That always feels good. Uh, To talk about that a little bit more, he is... uh, Dom Lucision covers the NHL for The Athletic, joins us now on Canucks Hour. Hey, Dom, thanks very much for doing this, man. How are you? Uh, not too bad. How are you doing today? We're doing very well. It's uh, it's a big thrill for us to uh, to get you on the show, because I, I don't know if Drancer has told you, but you were a, a running character on the show. Oh, he knows. Constant updates oh, about your playoff model last season. So this I, is, this I is a, well a big day for us. Account. What? Sorry? <laughs> I see his Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> so the the projection goes up and the season preview goes up at the Athletic uh, for the Canucks. Did did anything surprise you one way or another uh, about what came out when you kind of ran it through your model and did the deep dive into the Canucks for this season? Um, honestly, not really. I figured this is where they would land. Uh, I think it just depends really on whether the the two potential superstars reach that level. And that's sort of how we framed all of the previews is what is the biggest question facing this model and, or sorry, this season and how does the model handle that? And for us, it was how uh, Pedersen and Hughes play this year because they have the talent to be true franchise players and carry this team to a playoff spot. It just, there are still question marks that with those two players that other franchise guys don't have. So, Dom, the bull case for the Canucks to make the playoffs would be, and, t- and correct me, correct, like shade in the lines where, where I have this wrong, that the model doesn't quite a- account for the size of the Boudreaux effect, right? And that the young players, Pedersen and, and Hughes, level up beyond what the model can anticipate because they're such high-end talents. Yeah, that's that's basically it. And I we talked about the Boudreaux effect and what that mm-hmm. looked like last year in terms of the projection. And if they play that way, it it wouldn't be a surprise to for them to hit a hundred points. It's just that how they played isn't. It's hard to completely rely on it because it happened for only fifty or sixty games or whatever it was, and. Yeah, the the big thing every year is that you can't project a breakout season. It's right. just something that sort of happens where a player takes the next step. And for Pedersen and Hughes, they're both rated really well, but they have the talent potential to be rated even higher. And if they hit that level, then those are some points that the Canucks can get over this 92-point projection. One thing that I don't know if people understand is you have your model, you trust your model, your model is proven, and yet occasionally when you're writing your analysis, you fade your own model, right? Like you fade your own model with the Seattle Kraken. Um, you tend to fade your own model uh, with, a, with a few other teams. Is there anything with the Canucks that you personally uh, sort of look at and think, this is what the model says, I trust the output and I understand why, but... Here's my view of it. Is there anything that stands out to you as being within that realm? Yeah, well, there is something like that with every team. And when we did our top 100 players project, and it was with Sean and Shane as well, and we also had Corey involved, the idea was that the model isn't perfect. No model is. So where do we see sort of gaps? Why do we see those gaps? And how would we rank these players if we could blend the eye test with the model and make something that is more 
agreeable. And for the Canucks, I think it really is the, the Boudreau effect. I think he has this knack to of getting the most out of the best players on the roster. And I think we saw it particularly with JT Miller. I know there's a lot of people who are extre- extremely skeptical that he can repeat what he did last season. I am the same, but I think that under Boudreau, he can be better than the model gives him credit for here. I think the same of Pedersen. I think the way the the lines are shaking out right now with uh, Horvat, Miller, and Pedersen on three different lines, I think that could give Vancouver the the depth they've rarely had throughout this uh, this rebuild because it gives them three guys who can probably drive a line and it gives them, for the first time, capable support with each of those guys where Miller has Garland Pearson, Horvat has Besser, and Pedersen now has Mikhaev, assuming he's healthy, and Kuzmenko, assuming he hits on uh, his projections and is as good as he looks in the KHL or whatever. I think the the big issue, obviously, will be will be defense. But like for example, Albrecht and Larson, he was a very controversial acquisition last year. Obviously, analytically, he didn't come out strong but there was the argument that in Arizona he had checked out he still had some game left and I I think he proved that to an effect last year in Vancouver and the model for example will sort of split the difference and go halfway between where he was in Arizona and where he was in Vancouver last year and say okay prove it again but I think on this team he seems to fit pretty well and he should be able to prove it again. It's interesting that you bring up JT Miller there because JT Miller, based on your model and based on fact, like obvious, right, has had over the last four seasons, right, the final one in Tampa and the 2021 sort of pandemic shortened year really was at the level of like sort of an average second line player, right? And then he's got these other two seasons, 2019, 20 and last year. Uh, where he's an absolute star, like one of the most, what, what, one of the 20 most valuable forwards in the league. Once because he was a two-way dynamo in 1920, and then once because he was this offensive scoring dynamo last season. Uh, your model, though, tends to buy the, the, the better seasons as opposed to sort of the low seasons, even though they're sequential. Like <laughs> one after the other, it seems to vacillate all over the place. Um, how do you account? for a player whose performance has been that volatile year over year? Uh, it's kind of the same as uh, Ackman Larson, and it's basically just splitting the difference and understanding that with that specific player, there may be a much larger gap for error. So I, I just looked it up, and with Miller in uh, last year, uh, he was on pace for around 3.3 wins. And he's projected for 2.4. So, right. say, a win under that. Because what he did in 2021, the pandemic shortened season, he was closer to that second-line caliber player where he was worth maybe just one win. So, mm-hmm. it is shaded to last year because it is the most recent season. But that pandemic shortened season where he was a lot less effective does bring his value down where you want to see a bit more consistency. And that's sort of how the model handles the inconsistency is just putting it in between and saying he might be elite, he might be a second line type guy, or he might just be right in the middle, which is on average where he's been over the last two years. 
In conversation here on Canucks Hour with Dom Lecision from The Athletic, talking about his Canucks season preview, which is up at The Athletic right now. Dom, how volatile would you say this prediction is for the Canucks, or really just your impression of the Canucks, right? You know, it, it comes in at about 92 points, you know, 50% chance uh, for to make the playoffs. But what what are kind of the, you know, the, the uncertainty on either side and the upside, but also the potential downside with this team? Yeah, but, and uh, uncertainty is the biggest thing with these projections because this is hockey and a lot of unpredictable things happen and one of the the features to show that is the the sort of histogram on the chart that shows the chances of the Canucks finishing in certain spots so when you run 50,000 simulations there are some seasons where the Canucks end up with 110 points and they're a contender there's also seasons where they end up with 75 and are right back to the drawing board and so one of the things we did this year is we had a section where we think kind of critically about what a best case scenario season is and what a worst case scenario season is because I think a lot of fans they want to feel like the best case is what's going to happen at this point they want to feel optimistic and there's a way to write that narrative based on the data if you just look through the roster in, through rose-colored glasses so if the Boudreaux effect is real if Miller repeats his season Pedersen Hughes breakout Demko becomes a star goalie that's really not hard to see a 100-point team. And I think for the first time in a long time, the optimistic case for the Canucks is a team that can look like a contender. But because they're on the, bottom, on the bubble, there's still this worst-case scenario where things don't go according to plan. So maybe Miller regresses. Maybe Pedersen and Hughes, this is their level, and they don't take another step. Maybe the deaf guys don't step up and maybe it's as simple as Demko just having an off year because that can happen with even the best goalies and if that all happens the Canucks might be an 80 point team and be right back near the bottom standings when this was supposed to be a stepping stone year and I think the big thing for rebuilding teams is that development is not linear and sometimes you go way up and have to come back down a little and sometimes you just take a step back and the next season you go two steps forward, something like that. So there's a chance that last year when they played at a hundred something point pace with Boudreaux, that was them taking maybe two steps forward. And this season might be one where they, they take a step back a bit from that level. Yeah. It's sort of, you have an expression in the sort of principal graph that's almost like a bell curve of probability, right? So the Canucks, yeah. according to your numbers, would be 47% likely to be a 95-point team or better, which seems really good. Yeah. That's a coin flip. On the other hand, there's also a 30% chance that they're 85 points or worse, mm-hmm. and it feels like the better a team is, the sort of further it moves down or up the bell curve, right? Like you want to have a, yeah. a higher sort of fat part. Uh, that's sort yeah. of what you're talking about with your averages. Why, why do you think it's important to express these probabilities in, in that sort of manner to, to give fans a sense of the of the range here? I think it's important to show the uncertainty because mm-hmm. I think with these things, you never want it to feel like it's an absolute thing where I remember early on when I did this, I would just show how many points they were projected for. Mm-hmm. And I think people took that as gospel as if, the model saying 92 points on the dot, and if they don't finish there, then it's this huge mistake when it's really just that's an average of all these 
different multiverses where in some <laughs> the Canucks are this unstoppable force and that like that does happen there are some seasons where they hit 115 points and they contend for a presence trophy it can happen it's just unlikely and like you said the goal is for teams to bring that bell curve lower down a list where the average is around 105 110 points and you'll see later on these season previews the best teams there's a chance that they fail as we saw with Vegas but if the bones of the team are still good the next season they can get right back up that level and have sort of a best case scenario season I think one of the best examples of that in recent memory was the San Jose Sharks I think it was 2014-15 where they had a great team but they missed the playoffs entirely and the next year uh, I think it was one of the first years I had a model and for whatever reason there was nothing I could do to make that model hate the Sharks and it called it one of the best teams in the league despite missing the playoffs and they ended up going to the Stanley Cup final and I think getting to be a true talent 105 point team is the goal and that's a big difference from just getting 105 points I think that's something that a lot of fans do miss when they see a team sometimes overperform the graphic that I was looking at today, so the Canucks are checking in at number 18 on your sort of um, probabilities, right? Like, And it's based, on, yeah. it's based on points. Is that right? Yeah. So they're checking in there, and yet they're likely rank under win division. So win division, 4%. Vegas sees them as 10 to 1, so you would fade those odds, right? You'd think that's overpriced uh, based yeah. on implied probability. Uh your likely rank for them, though, is fourth with a 20% probability of being fourth. And yet, uh, it seems like there's four more teams in the Pacific that haven't yet been published on our rankings, right? There's still the Kings. There's still the Golden Knights. There's still Calgary. There's still Edmonton. Um, is that because Vancouver's sort of a like lower ceiling, high floor? Like, w- What explains why their likely finish is sort of higher than where they're appearing in the overall 32 among Pacific Division teams? Yeah, uh, part of it is because the next Pacific Division team is only 0.9 points ahead oh, of it. Vancouver on average. And that's L.A.? So, yeah, that's L.A. <laughs> Spoiler. And that's Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and for both teams, the most likely finish is fourth. Got and it. it's both at 20%, but L.A. has a slightly higher chance of finishing first, second, and third, whereas the Canucks have a slightly higher chance of finishing fifth, sixth, and seventh. But... Three to five is right around 20% for for both of them. It's just that fourth happens to be the the highest. And it's a weird like pop probability quirk, uh, if you just think of it that way, where it's two teams likely to finish fourth. But mm. uh, we're just thinking about like the average of a bunch of simulations, where in a lot of simulations, LA finishes fourth, and a lot of simulations, the Canucks finish fourth, because they're, the, they're the two teams fighting for that spot, basically. Right. Uh, Dom, I have this pet theory that we're stuck in 2015 when we discuss the various Western Conference divisions, right? We're so used to the Central being this imposing juggernaut division. And, and of course, we know that they took both wildcard spots just a year ago. And yet, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced anymore that the Central is better than the Pacific. We're so used to looking at the Pacific and being like, well, in that division, right? In that division, it's going to be wide open. Um, but I think there's a real chance that the Central's worse 
than people remember, particularly if the Blues can't sustain their, um, you know, binge of, of east-west passing and shot quality yeah. generation, uh, particularly if Minnesota takes a step back. Um, you know, we know what's happened in Chicago and, and various other teams in the central Winnipeg. So uh, wh- what do you think, outside of your model even, what do you think about the relative strength of the Western Conference uh, divisions? Do you think there's a shot that the Pacific sends five teams to the playoffs? There, There is a shot, yeah. Um, so I think the big thing is that there are like three and a half good teams in the West compared to the East where there are like seven or eight. And the entire conference is a lot more wide open. Um, but really, you're looking at Colorado, Minnesota, Calgary, Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And then the, the rest of the teams, I think... Who's the half team, are... by the way? It's Edmonton, right? Sorry, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's Colorado, Minnesota, Calgary, and Edmonton. I, I don't know if I spaced out there for a second. But uh, yeah, I think if Robin Lehner was healthy, Vegas would be right there in the mix. But he's not. So they're now in this group where you have... I think six teams fighting for four spots, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I think like there's a realistic shot for any of those six teams, and Vancouver is definitely in that group. Um, I do like Nashville and Dallas a little bit more right now, but I can see the argument for why they might be weaker, especially Nashville. Last year, a lot of their players had this, huge bounce back year and Dallas is kind of a one line team, but I like with the, the trajectory of LA and Vancouver and Vegas previously being a contender, I can definitely see those five making it, mm. including Calgary Edmonton, whereas uh, the central might only send three. Yeah. And last thing you're at 91, seven, that's where your model falls. 92-5, that's where Vegas falls with their over-under points totals for the Canucks. So pretty pretty well aligned with the market, uh, your projection mm-hmm. is. Um, you're, a, you're, a, you're a wagering man. You're a wagering man. If, if I presented you if I presented you with the Vancouver Canucks' point total as you projected it, 91.7, would you mm-hmm. personally take the over or the under on that with, with even money odds? Um, I mean, with even money, I would take nothing and make no bet. That's why I wrote a, a futures article uh, who I would bet on. But for the, the sake of your show... For the sake of content, I, do it for the content, Tom. You would bet the over. I, I would take the over. I, I'm cautiously optimistic about uh, this team. And I think anytime I see a, a player in that like 22 to 25 age group and they haven't really hit that like next level i i sort of like mentally pencil in that they're they have breakout potential um and i i don't know i i i see a really big season for Pedersen this year i think Hughes he's obviously amazing offensively but i think we see a more complete game from him and he becomes this true star defenseman and i think that i think that'll be enough i i don't know i think Canucks I think I'm I'm pretty optimistic about them, and I haven't said that in a long time. There you go. If you hear it right from uh, right from the cautiously source, optimistic, cautiously optimistic. Baba Yaga on this program, number one in our hearts. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, my friend. <laughs> Appreciate it, Tom. We'll we'll, uh, we'll talk again throughout the season. 
Yeah, definitely. I'll be here to talk my model with you that you love to tweet about every, every day. <laughs> that Thanks, is, uh, <laughs> There he is. That is Dom Lucision. Uh, covers the NHL for the Athletic, of course. The proprietor of uh, the much-talked-about Dom Lucision model here on Canucks Hour. And I always find it fascinating when any projection system like this is made, right? But especially one that relies more on kind of that statistical objective way there's always a temptation for some fans to be quite passionately upset if it if it does not if it seems to be a little bit lower uh, than maybe what they were expecting. But I also look at and, and even before we got into the you know cautiously optimistic and there's reasons why he he thinks they could be a, a decent bet to exceed that projection. Even before we get into that though, when you really think about it, basically projecting 92 points right in the mix with what six other teams for the final four playoff spots yeah, the, the and Dallas the and, Dallas Nashville St Louis. Um, LA, Vegas, Vegas. LA tier, right? Like that's. The I, I mean, tier. and it, like, isn't that what we all kind of think? You yeah. know what I mean? Even and and if if let's say you're like, oh, he's way too low. I think the Canucks will have 97 points. I mean, that's two wins and an overtime loss over the course of a whole regular well, season, right? And, and the probability of his model would say that's a 47 yeah. percent chance of occurring. So, like, 47 percent chance of 95 plus points. That to me is a bull case. Like that to me is a bull case. They're not saying that they're saying it's a coin flip that they're 95 plus. Yeah. I mean, slightly weighted coin flip, but nonetheless, like that's, you know, pretty significant. And there are, you know, it's the kind it's of like betting on red. Yeah. It's the kind of projection where I look at it and I say, okay, you know, maybe there are individual things about it, right? That, that you think you disagree with one way or another. Right. And as, as he said, whenever you're talking about young players, there's always, the chance for a breakout potential and that, you know, he's talking about Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, but I think you could extend that to, you know, Vasily Podkolz and outperforming expectations. But at the same time, the overall picture, yeah, feels pretty fair. going to be a dogfight. going to be a dogfight with some other decent but flawed teams in the Western Conference. That, that's, that, I, I find it, I, I, I find it very, very difficult to have a problem with that either way, right? Either to be either way more bullish on the team or way ba- more bearish on the team. Than yeah, that. it feels like common sense. And, and of course, Dom's model uh, tends to outperform uh, Vegas, has outperformed the, the, the bookmakers uh, on a, on a game by game basis, uh, you know, for each of the last four or five years is the best among the public models in that arena. And of course has utility too, as a tool for player uh, projecting players aging and additionally for projecting the results over the course of a season last year, of course, his projection in the most dramatic possible way captured the Canucks almost perfectly, right? They were projected to have 90 points. Yeah. They end at 92. It was uncannily accurate. We'll see if he does it again. We'll see if the model does it again this time around, but really appreciate him coming on and shedding some light into exactly how the sausage gets made. Yeah. Uh, for, you know, the sausage that I will then butcher and overuse over the course of the season to great effect and lots of angry texts filling uh-huh. the Dunbar Lumber inbox. Um, the other thing, uh, and you brought it up, is when you – because it's – look, you can you can project the points for the team. That's not the only determinant to whether they make the playoffs, though, right? It's the environment they're in. It's the context of the division and the conference. And I do agree that it it's would health. not – It would not – well, it's health. Sure. No, no, no. But I no. mean in, the context outside of what happens with the sure. team, right? Um, and I agree that I would not be surprised at all if it's – five playoff teams from the Pacific. I, I would be fading the Central Division a little bit, but, I mean, who knows? It's going to be close. I'm fading uh, the Central the hard. I've got, a, I've got a full fade on the Central. I love it. And and I've got, you know, part of that, too, is that I legitimately think two of the worst teams in the league are in the Pacific. They are, 
Arizona and San Jose are absolutely dead in the well, water. Well, Arizona's in the central. Are they? Yes, they've moved over to the central with Seattle coming in. <laughs> oh my goodness. So Arizona and Chicago oh, yeah. truly dire teams okay. in the central. Yeah, yeah, those are but really bad teams. You do have Seattle and San Jose. Well, Seattle, Seattle I think could be fine if their goaltending's just not historically bad, which it was last year. They're still going to be bad, don't get me wrong. And I think they're a particularly bad matchup for Vancouver because they don't have the D that can break Vancouver's forecheck. But so I they're, think, they're a good matchup for the Canucks. They sorry, match up poorly with the, with the Canucks. Match yeah, yeah, yeah. up terribly yeah. with Vancouver. I think Vancouver is going to crush the I-5 uh, <laughs> series over the course of the season. But I think Anaheim, as sort of a middling team, is the opposite. Anaheim's got a lot of D that can move the puck. I think Vancouver is going to have a ton of trouble manufacturing that quick strike offense off of turnovers uh, with their forecheck against Anaheim. And that's going to be a really interesting sort of weaker team than the Canucks, but I think going to be a really tough matchup for them over the course of the season in the Pacific. Uh, up next on Canucks Hour, she covers the Canucks for the Canadian Press. She was in Whistler for training camp at the game last night. Gemma Karsten-Smith will join us. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650.